Hi, I'm Katerina, and this is Sound Effects, a music and mental health podcast. So, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. It's my pleasure. Obviously, we're talking about your book. I've got it here. Wow. <laughs> um, bodies. So, I'll read it out for anyone listening. Bodies, Life and Death in Music by Ian Winwood. Um, and I read it and it gave me a lot of different emotions. <laughs> That's the one thing I would say. I, I went through a lot of series of different feelings. Some of it was very funny. Some of it was incredibly sad. Uh, I I felt completely heartbroken at all the bits where you're talking about your mum and dad. I cried when you spoke about there's this one line that your mum said to you when you told her you wanted to be a music journalist. Right. And she says, Oh, well, there's there's plenty of people who do it, so why can't you? Her exact words were, and and it's I don't know if it helps to imagine her doing this in a in a South Yorkshire accent, but quite matter-of-factly, she said, well, somebody does those jobs. I don't see why it shouldn't be you. And it was as simple as that. That was my green light. Yeah. I, I thought that was really so touching. And also it was just one sentence that really demonstrated your relationship to you and your mom. I, th- I right. thought it was really beautiful. I, I mean, there were moments like that as well when you describe your relationship to your dad. Mm. Um, um, I hope it's okay to talk about, obviously, I know you talk about uh, his death in the book. and You can ask me anything. That's, that, that's just in terms of, uh, I mean, I did it quite deliberately in the book. I sort of, I mean, I say right at the, right at the start of the book that, that he died, that he's dead. Um, so the reader knows that, but they don't know the circumstances. And, and I sort of bring him in and out of the story to establish him as, as, a, as a character, really, yeah. uh, or as a physical presence, not physical presence. Do you, you understand what I mean? As someone, I guess so that when it happens, people, um, people give a shit, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly gave a shit, and I think okay, thank the, way you. You, the, <laughs> the way you introduced him, and I think it was through through the dialogue and just the, the one-liners that he would say to you, that the right. way he, he, he could be identified by the kind of type of joke he would say. Even this, this image where you describe having a hug with him and, and your hat falls off. Yeah. Um, well, that's, really you've, 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 you've picked up lots of nice things from that, Katie. That's lovely. Well, I guess it, it, in a way it was just to say that the, I found the book very evocative. It, it really evoked a lot. And, and from your personal life kind of interwoven into the narrative, but also what then gets demonstrated is how you slot into the music industry as a music journalist. So you, you, you've got this kind of very, to some extent, this very normal family setup that many people will identify with with your with your parents and your upbringing and that relationship that's kind of some kind of grounding influence throughout it all and then you have this kind of chaotic career which we'll we'll go into but the 
your stories of your escapades within music journalism and, and how that brings you into contact with various band members and your worlds collide. Mm. Um, it, it did feel like, um, yeah, I felt, I felt quite sad at moments. It was kind of enthralling and sad. And it's like you, you took the reader into your world of what I imagine it might have been like for you doing that job. Right. Um, so partly just for the sake of the listeners, if anyone's not read the book yet, um, it's it, it basically kind of chronicles your experiences as a music journalist. So from a very young age, you became a music journalist. Um, starting out, really, your dream job was to work at Kerrang, it seems, um, for, really from a young age. And ultimately, you ended up becoming a freelance writer for Kerrang and then that developed into uh, more of a freelance career in music journalism and is my understanding correct that you're still a freelance journalist for The Telegraph now uh, as a music critic? Yeah I am, I'm still a freelance music journalist for Kerrang now which which at 51 years of age is I I like to think both charming and ridiculous Kerrang! And the, and the Telegraph are the two um, publications for which I write most frequently. And I think that uh, a, a little note of explanation about each, uh, about both, is, I think, perhaps helpful. I'll start with the Telegraph. Um, <clears throat> and this is really more me, actually, Katie, because the Telegraph, uh, known colloquially as the Tory graph, Mm. Um, the the, the Telegraph's politics are not my own Mm. Um, however uh, and that's putting it mildly however as a writing gig um, I've been there for just over three years and as a writing gig it's a a remarkable place to to work Mm. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I've just reviewed um, Pete Doherty's book. Uh, He has a forthcoming memoir called The Likely Lad, which is dreadful. Uh, And I I, I was asked to review it. They've got me reviewing books now, because I guess because I've written one. And um, I started this review with something uh, with a story that actually occurs in in my book uh, and, and it's quite a grisly story mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't tell I, I won't tell you what it is simply because if, if simply because if anyone is inspired to read the book I don't I don't want to reveal too much too many of the precise details just because you know uh, and my wife and I went to see the film men uh, at the weekend and she made the point that while well, she didn't really enjoy it actually, but she kept saying, I've seen this bit in the trailer. And, you know, it's sort of, I, I just don't want to spoil the surprises of the book. But then it suffice it to say this story that was in my book, which is a quite a striking story, wasn't in Doherty's book. And I thought of the idea of starting the review with this story and saying it, say, it speaks to the chaos of Pete Doherty's life that this story doesn't even make it into his book. Mm. And I thought, normally I'm of the belief, Katie, that it's better to uh, seek forgiveness than ask permission. Mm. 
but I thought, well, I don't want to write this whole review and start with this and then them, them say to me, no, we can't print that. Um, so I, I ran it by them. I said, look, this is a rough, a rough cut of what, uh, what I want to start with. Can I, can I start with this? And it really is a, a grisly. And if I didn't have it properly sourced by knowing someone that saw the incident happen, it just wouldn't stand up legally. It's not, it's not something that I could have, um, I, you know, I could have, I could have put into print if, um, if I'd, you know, heard it, heard it, heard, to quote Ariel Speedwagon, heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who, and I'd heard it backstage at a music festival. It was properly sourced story, but I still expected them to say, no, perhaps not. And they said, no, yeah, sure, go for it. So I, I get a lot of freedom at the Telegraph. I get a lot of, um, uh, to the extent that overwhelmingly, in fact, totally, uh, uniformly. I'm not even briefed for, for mm. things that I write, for features. Um, sometimes I'll say, oh, will you ask about this? But even that's quite rare. So that I, it's an enormous amount of freedom at the Telegraph, which for a uh, a writer is narcissistic and, and obsessed with English. I, no, that's not a very good explanation. As as uh, there is narcissism involved, but just it, obsessed with trying to get the work the, the, the work right, or as, as as right as I can in the allotted time to then see that work appear as I want it to be is really really lovely. So that's that's just a quick caveat there. Kerrang also requires a little bit of explanation um, because if, if for any of your listeners who are familiar-ish with it will think, oh, yeah, that's the metal mag. Uh, and, um, and it does cover uh, metal. I don't know why I stuttered when I said that. It does cover that. But, uh, but the, the, the title of the magazine, Kerrang, uh, as I explain in the book, is, is an onomatopoeia which means for anyone that doesn't know, and I hope I'm not mansplaining here, I'm very sensitive to that charge. Uh, um, it, 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 an is something that describes the, 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 uh, is the word, the word sounds like the thing that it describes. So Kerrang! is the sound of a guitar struck with force. Um, when, I, when I started at Kerrang!, which was uh, September 2000, um, very, really very quickly it would be one one week I could be interviewing Slayer but the next week I could be interviewing the White Stripes uh, or the Beastie Boys or um, uh, the, uh, the Vines or the Hives or uh, and then Metallica and then you know we'd put a death metal band on the cover and then a hardcore punk band and that th I think that's why I identified it so strong with it so strongly um, it wasn't, uh, it's not really a genre magazine, mm. it's a volume magazine. And, uh, you know, Katie, never trust a music journalist, Katie, that doesn't uh, listen to all kinds of music. Mm. Um, but if I have a preference, it's for music that is played loud, um, but not a genre, you, you see. Mm. Um, so both of those suit me very well and continue to suit me very well. Also, just quickly for the Telegraph, I've written for, if not dozens, certainly more than a dozen publications. 
probably closer to two dozen than a dozen. Uh, and my, because I came up really through Kerrang, I had to spell at other magazines before then, but Kerrang was the magazine that I, I was most closely identified with for anyone that might have been paying attention. It, 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 you kind of get typecast. It's like being a, an actor that only plays in horror movies, only, only appears in horror movies. Um, and I remember getting headhunted by the NME for what was a truly miserable year. This is about 2005. And, um, and they asked me to come and write for them. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go give this, I'll go and I'll try this, I'll go and give this a go. Um, and what I quickly learned to my, to my cost was that I got big jobs writing from, for the enemy, but they were only bands that I would have written about at Kerrang. That was, that was how I was identified. Uh, whereas at the Telegraph, that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen at, at all. Um, they, just, they either don't know or don't care. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm totally fine with, with both of those. Um, so it really is, you know, can I interview James Taylor would be, you know, the, perhaps the most left field, but certainly Billy Bragg or Paul Heaton. Uh, I interviewed Hanson recently. They're right set of slippery little bastards. Uh, it was like interviewing three very charming politicians. Um, uh, so that's lovely as well. I'm not, I'm not confined to the, to the loud rock box. So, yeah, so in answer to a question that you didn't ask, Katie, those are, the, the, uh, the, those are the two that keep me busy at the moment. And I also do stuff for uh, alternative press in the United States, which is sort of a bit somewhat like an American correct. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you putting all of that into context. So I, I really welcome you kind of, going but please feel free to go on as many tangents as you need to because it's yeah. helpful you, yeah you say you say that now wait till we get into the first <laughs> hour <laughs> it, it kind of leads on to a question I did have because um this question of how to maintain your integrity as a writer when you're working within the music industry and you do touch on that in your book and there's one moment which again I won't go into the context of that moment in the book but there is a moment where you talk about the difference between being a friend and being friendly mm. and I imagine that that is very much a part of um, the experience of being on the road with touring musicians um, when you're like this uh, this review you've written of Katie, oh. Katie, someone's knocking at the door. Can I go uh, and get sure. okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt your question. <laughs> Give me two seconds. <laughs> Katie, I'm sorry. It was my wife's smoothies. Your creative license as a writer to write what you feel and to be honest about what you think. It, the example you just gave of reviewing Pete Doherty's book, mm. and you just said here that you felt it was terrible. In a way, as I was reading the book and you were describing that process of, of sometimes writing things that might annoy people or, or might somehow cause a backlash with a band, and I wanted to ask you how easy or difficult is it to to maintain that kind of ethic, like no matter what, you're just, you're not here to please the musician, but to, to be a good writer ultimately. Um, 
that's quite a difficult, that's an extremely good question. Let me try and answer it properly. Um, I think as a writer, uh, I am always pushing against something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I was a younger writer, um, I found myself pushing against the niceties of music journalism. Mm. Um, and, and, and in a way, I still am, but not in such an uh, egotistical or, or narcissistic way, not in such an, an attention-seeking way. That being said... Um, first of all, that, that being said, I've just written two book reviews for the Tele- I've written three book reviews for the Telegraph since they started me doing this. One was a book called, um, uh, let me tell, I'm just looking to find it. It's called, uh, I, I Don't Take Requests by DJ Fat Tony, who I, I had never heard of. He's a DJ to the stars. Um, to my horror, yesterday, I discovered it's a, overall in all of the books in the world on the Amazon chart, it's number 29, which is way higher than mine. Um, and, and it's just an awful book. And I, and I said so very plainly. Uh, and and if, if, it's, if I feel it's justified, and I did the same with Pete Doherty's as well, um, and both of those, it seems, are big books, um, if I feel it's justified, then I do quite enjoy bringing out the big guns. Um, in terms of pushing against things that, that, that I refer to, I'm wondering a little bit, wondering a little bit here, Katie, because I'm just trying to get this, this, this right. I, 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 I think my instincts, it's, it's a little bit like the Paul Simon um, line, after changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. And I remember a young, I'm quite fascinated in, in young music journalists um, and a young music journalist who obviously will remain unnamed, um, put on uh, a social media that the, the best thing um, for them was being able to review friends' bands and say that they're great. Now that might be fine it might be fine to say um oh i want to i want to you know amplify music that he genuinely thinks is great and would think he's great is great even if he weren't friends with the band Mm -hmm. so i'm willing to concede that there is that 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 interpretation um but my my spidey sense started tingling with their friends in bands and 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 really to the point of being actually really extremely pompous about it katie and and which in a way i guess i still am um i am friendly with with a a number of bands um but i am friends with very very few very few uh because I think it's sort of corrupting. Um, and I, there is a, a point at the start of, toward the start of the book, in the second chapter, uh, where I say I am, I, am, I am licensed to be many, as a music journalist, I'm licensed to be many things, a storyteller, a booster, 
uh, or an, an assassin, but what is not acceptable, and it wasn't then and it's not now, is that I should willingly submit to becoming a, a, an unpaid member of their PR team. Mm. Uh, and I still find that gravely offensive that, 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 that I sh should do that and should do that without being even being told, just thinking that was my part of my job. And it's, it's not, it's just not. If music journalism is, has any validity, and of course it, it can, but not always does, the job should be quite simple. It should be if you and I met for a drink or a coffee uh, and you said to me, who's your favourite band, Katie? Who's, who's your favorite? I'm asking you a question. Who's your favorite? Oh, band? please don't judge me, Oasis. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Well, that doesn't well, that doesn't work because Oasis is okay. Right, okay. Say say two months ago we met for a coffee, and I you said to me, oh, what's the new? Have you heard um, uh, the new Liam Gallagher album? Yeah. Uh, and I said, um, oh, actually, yeah, I have. And you said, what's it like? And I said, do you know what? It's pretty dreadful. Yeah. Uh, what if I, I if I write about the Pete Doherty album? It is then my job to say that in print. What is and 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 I, and I'm, I still find it. Uh, I mean, really, quite <laughs> viscerally offensive. Um, when I, I mean, I I, I I know personally someone uh, who, um, in a private conversation with me. Um, said said that he or she really disliked the last Green Day album, mm. and then I saw this person's review in print, mm -hmm. and they had given it a four out of five review. That is absolutely unacceptable. So that sort of if I have an ideology, that's it, and it is simple making the the distance between what I know and what I can say in print as slim as is humanly possible. It's really uh, no more complicated than that, Katie. Yeah. I guess so you're, you're describing your feelings around falseness, um, that, that, you, that you value honesty, that integrity, I guess integrity, maybe is a better word. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like quite a highfalutin word. I just don't. I just don't want to tell lies. Yeah. I, I guess that, and that sounds even more highfalutin. No, I, 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 I just don't want to be part of that. The, the their machine. I just, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, and 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 that's not to say that I, I, I go, you know, wandering from job to job looking to start fires and 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 start trouble. Um. But I remember a music manager once saying to me, let me, see if I can, let me see if I can get the tone of this right so I don't sound like a complete burk. A music, a notable music manager, actually I've already sounded like a burk by saying I'm friends with notable music managers. A notable music manager of my acquaintance once said to me in Paris, so I, just, just as if the listeners don't hate me enough at this point, in Paris, he said to me, apropos of nothing, he said to me, um, Ian, I, re I really like your writing, but it, it makes me nervous. And that's kind of, I'm not sure if that 
totally, entirely still holds today. But at the time, I thought that is exactly what I'm going for. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I just don't want them to think that. Well, I, funnily enough, very quickly, one of the few people that I am friends with is Frank Turner. You, so you've got to be careful with this. One of the friend, uh, few people uh, in music, uh, musicians, performers, songwriters that I am uh, properly friends with is Frank Turner. Some of you listeners uh, may know Katie, a popular singer, songwriter. Um, and as I was becoming friendly, friends with him, uh, he, he issued the album Tape, Tape Deck Hard which is a wonderful record and I gave it a really lukewarm review and I realize now that the reason I did that was to sort of establish the listen uh, I'm not for sale now not that I was being paid I'm, I'm not going to give I'm not going to give you my soul if we're going to talk about it in Faustian terms but at the, but the, my determination to do that and to make that point meant that I actually didn't listen to the album properly. I was more interested in 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 making that stand, and it's it, it's and so I got the review wrong. I just I wasn't listening properly because I was so determined. So it's so determined to to stake my claim with that that I, I I sacrificed the music, and that is also that's also corruption. Um. So I have to be careful with it, um, really, uh, because and 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 one of the reasons that I'm friends with Frank is that it wasn't till I realised my mistake, and this is years later, uh, and said, so "Actually, do you know what? I got that. I really got that wrong." He he never mentioned the review. That that that's the ideal to to you know, but the number of times I've I've given. Not even necessarily what I would describe as a shoveling, but uh, you know, a, 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 a less than wholehearted endorsement uh, of a band, either as a, in an interview or or as a, in in interviews. Uh, you have to let them know what's coming. I think it's no good being all smiles and fun and joy, and then them reading it, and you've been you know either unpleasant or savage. Uh, if you have difficult questions, if you're going to raise difficult issues in, in the feature, raise it to their face or don't raise them at all. You owe them that. Um, but if you're reviewing an album or a concert and you don't like it, the number of times that, that, that a musician has said to me, oh, I thought we were friends. And it's like, well, A, possibly we weren't, but it's, it's it, oh, Katie, someone else is at That's the door. Right. Sorry. Don't worry, don't worry. Sorry, Katie, you're at Postman this time. That should be it. <laughs> Not to worry. Someone sent me a book. Should we see what it is? Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. I've now got two copies of that. <laughs> anyway, that, thank you. Yeah, so shall I pick that up, Katie? Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and, they've, and they've said, oh, gosh, I thought, I thought we were friends. Uh, and um, oh, and oh, I'm gonna have to let the cat in, Katie. I'm so sorry. Christ, right. This happened the last podcast interview I did. It was the postman, the bloody cats. The right. Um, and they say, they say, oh, I thought we were friends. Mm -hmm. 
and whether or not we were friends is, is really not not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is that they would assume that being friends means that I am now on side, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just I'm just not I'm being as honest as I know how here. Mm-hmm. I'm just not having that. I'm just not having it because people people. Uh, if, if if I have a responsibility, it's to the reader, uh, not to the to the musician. Although I I have to, it's important that I represent the musician uh, fairly and accurately, and I do put a, a good deal of thought with that to the to the point where I will err on the side of generosity in 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 representing what they say. Um, so I do sort of turn myself inside out trying to be, be fair. Um, but I, the pieces aren't for them. The pieces, you know, you don't, if the pieces were for them, then they would be the only people that, that, that read it. Uh, and, and I do, I do hope that the people that I'm writing about read the work and feel that I have, represented them fairly and, and correctly uh and also i hope better than other 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 music journalists to if i'm being extreme if i'm being perfectly honest with you yeah. so I, I do take that quite seriously but really it's it's you know the stuff i write for the te- the stuff i write for the telegraph the people who have paid money are the people that are paying my wages my responsibility is to them and because I have never met them, I've interacted with a few of them. Because I've never met them, I have to imagine myself as that reader. So that's sort of my my uh, perspective, my point of view. It's such an interesting point that you're bringing up. Um, it, it's actually so. It, it, I feel very. When I said reading your book, I felt a lot of emotions. That's something. I feel very strongly about you described uh, your job as a music journalist as a job and and that's the bit I want to pull out because um, it's it's a career and it's a job in and of itself and it's a job the, the job of music journalism slots within the music industry and and it seems sometimes as if the the industry is the musician and everyone around the musician is there to simply prop up the musician. But what you're describing there is that actually the industry is a huge beast with so many different jobs around it. Each Mm -hmm. person with a career and an ambition and and goals to attain and and they're, they're earning a wage and, um, it's it's not all about just the musician um and I think that's what you're by you naming that that's just kind of brought back to my to my mind that this is actually a job you do it, as you say it's not a PR it's not a PR machine no yeah sorry you were going to say something no I wasn't I was oh. I, I was just I was careful not to leap in Katie and uh, because I didn't I, I sense that you hadn't reached the end <laughs> So I didn't want to just start riffing again. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, it was it was to say because um, this this does come across in your book because you um, you're talking about obviously you're you're exploring mental health 
um, in the music industry? Well, you're exploring the whole um, the whole vibe of the music industry. So um, the lifestyle of what goes on, but not just amongst uh, musicians themselves, but within the industry, within the whole machine. And there's this very powerful moment where you you talk about having missed, uh, um, you were meant to interview Green Day, I think it was in um, in in the US and you yeah. miss the in Orange in Orange County. Orange County. And you call up the what's her name, Sue? Susan? Um, uh, I, I didn't use her real name. You, uh, uh, but in the book she's Susan Seville. This was a really exemplary moment of what, what I kind of wanting to say here is that you you miss that interview and you call her up. And I was really struck by how quickly this woman who who whose job it is to sort of organize the press organize the press around the band or um says to you no problem we'll get you on a flight she rearranges the, the flight and you fly over the next day and she says to you um it's i'll do it for you and one of the reasons she does it for you is because you you'd given green day you'd written good things about green day in the past and you had quite a good rapport with them and it really, I guess two things struck me there. One was actually how busy everyone is in the music industry, how many different jobs there are, how chaotic it is that everyone is a cog in this massive machine all playing a part and something could go wrong for one of them and the whole system recalibrates to kind of make it work again. And the people that enable that to happen, it, it, it seems so slick, is, is all the periphery, all those people, the PR people, the photographers, the people on the ground in the magazines at Kerrang waiting for the copy, copy to come through. You're all in this kind of um, system together. That struck me. Um, the other thing that struck me was how if you hadn't been good to Green Day, then you might not have had the interview. <laughs> so it was, yeah, those two things struck me. Yeah. I, 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 the, 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 so without going into details, what happened, because it, it, it might be, it's certainly one of my favourite sections of the book. It's certainly one of my favourite stories mm. <clears throat> of flying to, supposedly flying to Orange County to interview Green Day. Um, but weirdly, there was a connection. Uh, the connection was the connecting flight, which was in Vegas. And without ruining the story for anyone, uh, the, 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 I don't know why I'm laughing. They, we, they couldn't get us off the plane at, at, at McLaren. The, 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 the exit, the, the kind of walkway that you used to get off the plane wouldn't attach to the plane. Mm. And it took about an hour to get it fixed, which meant that we'd missed our connection. So we had a free night in Los An in Las Vegas, in Las Vegas. Now I say we, uh, this is uh, me and a, a, my very dear photographer friend, Paul Harris, uh, a, um, a writer and photographer from the NME, uh, and also a fella from, from Rock Sound magazine. And it, 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 to cut to the end, I missed the connecting flight the next morning after a night of hijinks in, in Vegas. I had things on my side there. 
There's no doubt about that. Um, I I don't like the latest album, but I I just love I love Green Day unselfconsciously, and and with great honesty, uh, not great honesty. That's shut shut up, Ian. With with uh, I, Green Day were exa exactly the kind of band that I liked to write about mm. um, because at least until American Idiot, my my take on them was perhaps different from others in the mainstream uh, media. Um, I'm not saying I'm alone in this. Um, Steve Lamarck, uh, now at Six Music, felt very much the same way. That this, is, that this was one of the great rock and roll bands and where other writers, kind of, music journalists can sometimes have kind of groupthink. Mm. Uh, and other writers were like, oh, these are, you know, these are, they viewed them with something close to affection. Oh, there you are, you kind of cute little punk rock kids doing your thing, that's cute. You're quite good, you know. And I just thought, especially as, uh, as, 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 as the band progressed, I thought this is one of the great rock and roll bands. And sort of, and, and, and I just said that again and again and again, and I wrote about them a lot. Um, I didn't always give them, I remember giving them a really poor review from a, the first time they played Wembley. It was just, I just didn't think it was very good. So it wasn't like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm falling, I'm, I'm, I'm contorting myself to let you know that I wasn't, you know, part of their, their unpaid, an unpaid member of their PR team. But I just thought this is a really, really great band. So I'd sort of established, no, I don't mean I'd established a, a relation with them. I don't have Billy Joe Armstrong's phone number, but he knows who I am. Uh, and, and through that, I had um, established a relationship with the people around them. So when I woke up bewildered three hours after I should have left the hotel room to catch my flight to Orange County, there was no better, um, there was no better set of circumstances to help me, up to and including the fact that, quote unquote, Susan Seville herself uh, is an old school pace head really uh so it wasn't but i do so i looked out there there's no doubt about it if i had have been interviewing uh, who was around so this would be 2012 this happened so if i was interviewing a you know a, a, a young happening band uh, or a famous band if i was interviewing the chili peppers for example yeah uh, actually, that might not have worked. So they're on Warners as well. But if I was interviewing a band and I just didn't know who I was dealing with, chances are I might have been just dispatched home without an interview. That that even by the lack standards of the music industry, that that would have been a problem for a weekly magazine. But you're you're, you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Katie. Especially uh, uh, with a band at that level, they were doing three days of press. Uh, Paul Harris, Kerrang's photographer, had his slot. I had my slot. Uh, and I threw that into complete uh, uh, confusion. Dis I just, just, just <laughs> disrupted it totally. Um, and it's worth mentioning that those kind of campaigns 
are run like military operations. Mm. Um, and all I am required to do is get on a flight that is paid for by someone else and ask questions of musicians. And I, on that occasion, I failed to do that. Um, one of the things that I can tell, I can say this because the story doesn't, this, this, the, the, the postscript isn't in the book. Green Day are, without question, the worst major band to deal with in terms of, in terms of pinning them down. They're, they're just absolutely the worst. Uh, as much as I love them, they just they have just caused me headache after headache after headache in a professional setting. To the extent that an interview I did uh, for the album Revolution Radio, which came out in 2016, um, I was supposed to fly to... You're on the phone to the First World Problems Department here, Katie. But first of all, I was supposed to fly to San Francisco to do them. That was cancelled the night before the flight. Then I was supposed to fly to, I think it was Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati, which I've never, to a place I've never been to, um, which made it, makes it all quite exciting for me. Um, and that was cancelled the night before the, the flight. And then it was like, oh, well, we'll we're going to have to do them on the phone. And it's like, okay, this, this is not, it's not ideal from a writing point of view. And the interviews kept getting postponed and postponed and postponed. And my and and then the day that the day before Kerrang went to press, I interviewed them. I interviewed Billy Joe at midnight, Mike Dern, the, the bassist, at one o'clock in the morning, and Trey Cool at two o'clock in the morning for a feature that had to be in at eight a.m. the following morning. And they just they they do that. They did it last time. Katie, it was. Oh, I'm, I've got to interview Billy for the. They're, they're on the cover of the latest print edition of Kerrang, and I've written the feature again. And it was like, oh, you're, you're speaking with Billy Joe Armstrong at at, 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 at ten p.m. on Tuesday, and it's like, oh no, he he's, he can't make it. Can we make it Thursday? Okay, we'll make it Thursday. Oh, we can't find him. Can we make it Saturday? And the deadline's Monday, you know. But I can't really complain about this because I I did it to them. So I guess I guess, but they've done it to me loads of times. I was then required to write the feature straight away after after finally doing the interview a day later than I was supposed to, because at the other end of that operation, Katie. There are because it has ever been done at the last minute. I've got you know a team of designers, uh, sub editors, uh, features editor, and editor uh, wanting my co copy is is the is the, is the your, your listeners will know this, but copy is the trade term for a feature. Waiting for my copy, it was it was it was a lot. Let's just say that. Sorry, I took a long time to answer that question. I'm sorry. No, no, again, it's great because you're, you're sort of painting the picture of this world because uh, what you're describing there is um, um, your, yeah, the nature of this job, the, the late nights and the, the sort of keeping up with the bands in some way who are already on a schedule, but then the stress and pressure of getting your deadlines through as well. Um, and I think this is what you, you kind of, get at in the book that the the music industry well I guess I was trying to think how would I describe the premise of, of your book because it, it's kind of like you it's like you're raising a question around um 
why do so many people in the music industry die? Why are there so many drugs? Um, why is it so, um, why is that association so prevalent? Why are there so many deaths and casualties? And what I, through reading a book, what I felt was that you were painting that picture Ah, this is why. No wonder, of course. That that was the 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 impression of like you you paint the picture of if if you've got a whole load of people who are running this tight ship, everyone's relying on each other to run that ship smoothly. There are thousands and millions and millions of pounds being funneled into this at a moment's notice. Any one of them could be dropped. Um, the pressure that everyone is under to keep that going means that people are having to put their emotional lives on the back burner if something goes wrong for someone. And you describe this with many of the musicians that you've mentioned in the book, this need for musicians that the show must go on. You can't complain. There's other people with worse jobs out there. I, I, I've got the dream job. I've got to, to keep the ship alive because all these fans are expecting me. Um, you're, you're painting the picture of how you create an environment in which things like drugs and addictions and mental health struggles just get bred. Um, and you, so when you were describing just there your that experience of sort of having to, to do the interview at two o'clock in the morning, by eight o'clock you've got it, get it in Mm. you're 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 kind of again painting that picture of that lifestyle that actually it's not really glamorous (laughs) it's it's not really glamorous it's exciting in many ways a dream in many ways but it's hard work and and I think that's what you really get across um and the people that understand that in the industry and the people that take it for granted and the, and the, the, the kinds of musicians that might work within that really well and succeed and the ones that really don't because they either because they don't appreciate it or don't expect it or, yeah, or that they, they get eaten up by it. Um, there it. There is one part of the book I do really want to talk to you about. Please. How you feel about it. And there's a whole section you dedicate to talking about you meeting the lost prophets. Yeah. Um, and this this chapter really, uh, really hit me. I, I found it quite, I found it at times quite, difficult to get through I, ch- I should just say I'm a, I'm a therapist so um in case you might have already known that so I'm used mm. to I'm used to hearing difficult material but when when I was reading it I was thinking you talk about you know th- what it was like for the band members and the impact on them um and you you know you really described um Ian Watkins character what you observed and the little clues and hints of, of what was to come. Um, but what wasn't in the book was what that did to you. And I wanted to ask you. Uh, it didn't do anything to me, Katie. It okay. didn't do anything. Um, 
I've, I've, I, it's almost it's almost like I am in therapy with you at the at the moment, we, and I, I mean that as a sincere compliment. Um, I've, 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 I, I, I mean, I always try to answer questions honestly, but 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 I'm answering this question as if no one is going to hear this, as if it's just me and you talking. It didn't affect me at all. Um, it, it, I was shocked. Mm at uh, the nature of the re revelations. For anyone who might not know, <laughs> Ian Watkins was the singer in the Welsh rock band Lost Prophets, who had a far from discountable measure of uh, uh, success in the United States of America, which is unusual for a British rock band, and a lot of success in the UK and elsewhere in the world. Um, and I had I spent about 12 years interview. I don't mean I interviewed them for 12 years. That would, even by my standards, that would be a long interview. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, um, I, you know, I interviewed them at every junction uh, and, all, and all over the world for about 12 years. And for about six of those years, Ian was, in a way, Slightly typical of, 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 of lead singers, and I mean lead singers as opposed to people who sing and play another instrument, as a front, a front man, a front person, uh, who is the kind of public face of the band and the pitch man for the band. Um, he had that, those kind of so, sort of narcissistic, oh, so, yeah, narcissistic might be putting it a bit strong, uh, the... the um, uh, uh, kind of self-involvement of, 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 of a lead singer. They're kind of a little bit of breed apart. But he was great. I, 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 like, I, I liked him a lot. I liked them all a lot. I say in the book that I idealised them as poster boys for the British working class. And they were just a great set of people. Um, I remember I had my, I, had, I was visiting the dentist and my dentist said, uh, oh, I really like Lost Prophets, which surprised me because my dentist wouldn't, didn't look like the kind of person that would like Lost Prophets. And Ian sent me a signed copy. He got all the band members to sign a CD and he sent that to me to give to my dentist. Um, and then after about six years, he just became stranger and stranger and stranger and just kind of almost impossible to, to certainly impossible to interview. It was just a, a nightmare experience, sort of a difficult experience. Um, Ian is now uh, residing at Her Majesty's Pleasure at HM Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield, known, known locally as Monster Mansion, for almost unimaginable crimes, sexual crimes against children. Mm. Um, and the reason that I featured that story in the book was because I and, every, I and the band and everyone who was aware of Ian's, what appeared to be Ian's difficulties, um, attributed them to to a man and to a woman attributed them to the to to, to what i describe in the book as routine ruinations mm. um which might be my favorite two words in the book actually drugs hard drugs chaotic living instability mm. um vanity narcissism 
um, going off the rails in a in a in a quote unquote rock and roll way. Um, when I remember exactly where I was when I found that found out what had been alleged and later proved, I was with my friend Paul Brannigan, uh, a, a former editor of Kerrang at a, at a pub down. I speak to you from Camden Town in London at a pub just down to uh, just down towards Mornington Crescent, and um, our phones. Uh, there was uh, it was on the news on the TV, but the TV was turned down, um, and we were involved in you know immersed in conversation. And our phone started beeping, and it was like, oh my god, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, of course, a measure of shock. Um, uh, there was a, a measure and and there was a measure of and there was a measure of surprise because it, it the, the horror of it was was unusual mm. um really not unheard of but un, un, unusual there have been other other members of, of of rock bands that have been found guilty of pedophilia this this took it to a a a a, 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 a much more awful level it, you know a, a, of course, it's awful in any to, to any degree, but this was this was really um, it, uh, almost performatively unpleasant. Actually, I would I would say, um, but none of us saw this. Uh, anyone that thinks that the band, I mean, let's let's unpack let's unpack the idea mm-hmm. that a band would. Because it was, it was. Some people said, "Well, they must have known," and said it publicly uh, on social media to the members. Mm-hmm. Oh, they must have known. Let's 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 unpack that, mm-hmm. uh, shall we? The the the, the Lost Prophets were a six-piece band, mm-hmm. a six people, a five people who are who are who are who are not guilty of these crimes. Are we seriously to be, are we are we are we to seriously believe that five people? Who um, w- were aware uh, uh, of, of the awfulness of Ian's activities, uh, and for the sake of their careers, were willing to keep quiet about that. That there was that, that there was there was moral uniformity between them, and no one was troubled enough by it to tell their wife, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, men who at that point had children, some of whom had children. It just does not stand up. And I put that story in there to show. And it, 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 someone, someone has described the chapter as bleak. I guess I'm, too, I guess I'm too close to it, Katie, to to really to really say whether that's correct or not. I didn't want it. It is it inevitably has bleak moments, but it, it begins with an incident on a tour bus, a caper on a tour bus, uh, with me and a Kerrang photographer and the Lost Prophets. That's that that I hoped would establish just the amount of fun they were having, and 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 what had been lost. I say in the book, it's it, it, um, this shouldn't need saying, but let's say it anyway. That that. The, the 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 real victims, the primary victims of Ian Watkins' activities were the children he abused, mm-hmm. and also the, the children in, in the images that were found on his laptop computer. Number one, but also he ruined the lives. If you get 
if you subsequent to that, he ruined the lives or or or, 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 or dis, warped and distorted the lives of the people with whom he made music, whose legacy is now dead. It's mm -hmm. over, you know. Um, if there's a third Guardians of the Galaxy film, um, a, a Lost Prophets song is not going to be revivified on the soundtrack. It's not, you know, it's over. Um, he stole their past and he stole their future as well. And I thought that that was worth explain, uh, uh, examining what it must be like to have that happen. Um, and it works within the, I'm repeating myself slightly here, Katie, it works within the context of the book because we all thought it was just rock and roll stuff. So I, I was shocked and um, upset at the nature of, of the crimes. Um, but I am a, a, a journalist and I do come at these things, if I'm being perfectly honest, with a certain cold-blooded ruthlessness, um, which is uh, when Taylor Hawkins died, for, for example, um, uh, the month uh, earlier in the, in the spring, um, my wife walked me up and said, oh, Taylor Hawkins has died. And it was like, oh, gosh, that's that, right. Wow, that's a shock. And then it's like, am I going to get a call to be required to write about this? And the answer was yes. So I, I don't take things perhaps as personally as I would were, were, were I just a friend of the band uh, or, 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 you know, one of their, a member of their fan base. It's sort of like, okay, I, I tend to view things through the prism of the press, which is not, which is a slightly different thing. So in answer to the question you asked 20 minutes ago, Katie, I don't think it affected me at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess in hearing you sort of re-explain the, the circumstances of that story and of your experience of being on that tour bus in that moment that they're having fun, I mm. think what when you, you, you use this word bleak and uh, just a moment ago actually that bleakness it came through for me I think because in all the other stories you describe in the book there's a sort of repeated theme of it very drug fuels um very much based on addiction and a, a lot of the stories which are, are quite grim I think there's one of um um I can't remember which band member it is now. He's he's crouching in a in a closet watching his reflection. Oh, that, that was that was Nikki Six from Motley Crue. I took that from Nikki Six's own book. I mean it's uh, it's attributed. I didn't I didn't steal it. Okay. That because that that image was an example of, of this image of him injecting um heroin into his penis basically yeah. whilst in a moment of um delirium it seems you you describe lots of scenarios a bit like that throughout the book like here here's the theme again here's the theme again there's this common theme and thread around the levels at which people get to of addiction and and how those grueling six-month tours uh you know or six weeks tours at a time, sort of trying to keep up this stamina for six weeks at a time, having a week off, doing another six-week leg of the tour, um, and why it 
seems unsurprising that if you're doing that for years on end, you would develop these kinds of addictions to keep going. And then you have this story of Ian Watkins. And I think what really struck me was that um, this, this is a whole other level of, of depravity that's, that's almost not, you, you describe it as a result of the root, uh, ruination routine ruination routine ruination but that wasn't happening to all those other band members it was very specific to to him um there was just this extra layer of of depravity um so I was uh, what my, my question there not so much a question but I'm wondering is it really just the routine ruination of the drugs or because it wasn't that wasn't happening to the other other people <laughs> no it, no it, it wasn't but it it it, it had it, it was happening to lots of other people in other bands okay you know if if, if the, the lost profits were a sacred and also ian was doing those things uh as well he was addicted to crystal methamphetamine he was you know so, so he was doing that as well. Um, so the six of the lost prophets. I mean, I don't know what the personal habits were of 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 of, of the other members um, in de- in in dealing with Ian. Um, the, the the problem right at the be- right at the outset, right at the the sort of. Uh, first out of the gate, the problem with the music industry is that its base level is higher, is high. Let's not say it's necessarily higher, but it's high. So what a what might be a big Friday night out for in it, it, by established norms is an everyday occurrence for or or can easily be an everyday occurrence for everyone in the music industry Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't know it wasn't relevant to to the story that i was telling but it might well have been katie that two members of the lost prophets were just drinking drinking more than they should have done. And that might have been a problem that would need to be addressed at some point down the line. These things smolder away. Um, in regards to the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the Lost Prophets, with regard to the, the Lost Prophets have, have, have six members, uh, so Ian is what seventeen percent of that band in in terms of seventeen percent of the population don't become addicted to, to extremely hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if it were just Ian, even if it were just Ian that was were, were having difficulties with those with the with with the substances with the Ill- illegal substances, that's still way above the national average. Yeah. Um, uh, so. I think that I I I I'm not I'm not sure I, I quite agree. It doesn't. You're right. It doesn't um, affect everyone. There were times writing the book when I wondered if I was being too pessimistic. Um, 
And actually, I discovered in speaking to uh, an academic by the name of Geordie Shenton, who is... I know, I know him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> who's, 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 who's undertaking a, a PhD in, in, in substance abuse in musicians yeah. uh, at, at Goldsmiths University. Uh, and he's close to finishing it, I believe. Uh, and also uh, a, a, psych, a psych... I can never remember if it's psychologist, psychoanalyst, psych, psychiatrist... Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Charlie Howard, and she, she and I actually had a, a, a coffee uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I, I finally got to put a face to a name, Who's, who works specifically with people in the music industry, with, with musicians, with artists, um, and is retained and, and paid by record companies, which is obviously a great development. And, and when the times that I said, oh, of course, this isn't everyone, they were the ones that said that 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 said, hmm, are you sure are you sure about that? So they, they, I was just going to say, Katie, they're the ones more qualified to know to me. So I just wanted to be clear, I wasn't refuting that at all. I agree. Right. It, it was it was um it was just to draw the distinction between what's going on in the uh the the level of the problem within the industry. But then noticing that what was going on with Ian Watkins was something kind of extra. It, it was, oh, yeah. It was simply that, really, to, to kind of, that it wasn't just that drink and drugs led him to that level of depravity alone. Because when, when, you, when you look at all the other people you mentioned, they didn't go to that level. I think it was just to notice that there was this, there's something particular around that story um, with his particular crimes that seemed to be quite unique in contrast to the 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 the, the pattern of behavior amongst the other musicians that you're describing were right. similar i think that was just what i was saying to yeah uh, well then i would i would i would agree with that yes okay okay yeah <laughs> so there's certain themes you explore and, mm -hmm. and you you know, you because I know you split the book in two halves in a way, and the first was really about sort of looking at the the um, just the sheer numbers of musicians that you you personally had personal experience with who had these stories of excess and addiction, and you interweave your story around that, and then mm. the second half, which sort of goes slightly more into. Um, the sort of the mental health side of things and talking to the experts and um, why this is happening and, and how, how change could be possible. Mm. Um, and then kind of, I was intrigued because around that you interweave some other themes. So one was around social media, which is a slightly newer thing. The social media thing is, is, is that's, that's toward the end of the book. It's just another form of projection for performers, but they need to be careful with it. And I explore why I think that is. Yeah. And I use Frank to do that. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, from what, I, from what he's describing in the book, he describes it very vividly. This whole extra layer of politics that comes into um, be, being in the industry when you're then having to navigate the social media and the retweets and the extent to which that can 
get out of control and it yeah. back into things it's it feels like a very important addition because I guess so much of what you prior to that moment you're describing something that for decades has been present in the music industry and the and the rise of the internet is something um relatively new I mean since the year 2000 but you um you kind of talk about what that's done to just in terms of earning a living for musicians as well. Like, you know, what streaming has done to people, how it's even possible for people to maintain a career. So that, that kind of feeds the Twitter feeds into that in a way as well. And of what this industry is sort of becoming. Um, Yeah. So it it feels like a, a, an important part to add I guess I'm just thinking about you in the story as well because you are such a crucial part of that narrative so although you're you're um writing very much as a journalist kind of almost reporting on on what you saw and heard and, and experiences but you've interweaved your own life around it what was that like to do um it was a nightmare, to be honest with you. The, 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 the writing of the entire book was a nightmare. Um, but not perhaps for the, for, the, for, the, for the reasons that you might imagine. Um, when I say a nightmare, it was an extremely difficult book to write. Um, it was an incredibly intense experience writing it. Um, because I just wanted to get it right. So um, I had really no difficulty at all um, revealing even the sort of darkest and lowest moments of my own life. That was surprisingly, surprising to me, surprisingly easy and actually even quite enjoyable. Um, there's something that happens at the end of the, the, the ninth chapter, and I'm a little bit squeamish about that. But given what other people had told me in the, in the material that directly precedes that, I felt I owed it to the book to, to put that in. But that's really all. And even then, not particularly. What was difficult, Katie, was writing it correctly. Uh, and these were things that I had not considered, um, which is how do I present myself in those circumstances? Um, the book is, I, I mean, at the, at the top of the interview, you, you, you pleased me greatly by saying that it, it, it was both upsetting and funny. Uh, and that's, I like that wingspan, if you know, if you know what I mean. I, I don't mean that I'm, I'm, you know, yucking it up all the way through the book and making, you know, straining to make jokes. But I do employ humour, uh, I suppose, to a surprising degree, given the subject matter. And learning how to do that, learning how to present myself at my darkest moments in a way that didn't, I hope, make me pitiful or contemptible or someone that was uh, seeking pity. Uh, 
and, and, and simply just so the reader stayed with me, you know, the reader stayed with me through this stuff. Uh, and, and figuring out how to do that was really, really, really difficult, really difficult. I mean, no one wants to know how the sausages are made. But that being said, the book, the, the book is glides between various things. It's sometimes a memoir. It's sometimes a, a piece of analytical journalism, I guess. Sometimes it's anecdote. Sometimes it's interview. And, and, and to that extent, it's, it's, it's from a technical standpoint, it's not a beginner's book. It's not. I brought all of my skills to bear on it and indeed learned a good deal more when writing it. I became, a, at the end of the process, I am a vastly better writer than I was at the, at the start of it. And it was, I was kind of transforming as I went along, which I think can be is evidenced by the fact that it, it needed 11 different drafts to get it right, which is a lot. I wrote the damn thing through. I mean, please read, listeners, please, please buy it. I've, I, I worked out, I figured out, I wrote it for £2.50 an hour. That was, my, that was my hourly wage. I thought it might take me four months and it took me almost 17 months to, to, to do it. Uh, so yes, yeah, Katie, it was, it was incredibly difficult, but not, not for the reasons that you might imagine. Yeah, I, I think I read, I think you had tweeted about how many drafts you, you wrote. Yeah. You, you thought it was done and put to bed, then it came back and there was this whole rewrite almost. It was almost like you had to redo it's, it's. Well, I remember. I remember. It came back from the copy editor. I mean, but you know, at a at a, at a publishing house like Faber and Faber, which is a, a you know a, a prestigious and legitimate publishing house. At some publishing houses, books are just thrown into print. They really are. Um, and, and at some, there's a. At others, there's a there's a, a, pr a process. And I I I I have to give um, so much. A credit to my editor and particularly the copy editor which is a, a just such a grueling process and the manuscript came back and it sort of lay oh god it's it's i'm i mean i'm being triggered just thinking about it oh. and it come back and you know so it's a hundred thousand hundred and seven thousand word document and and at the side there are all these queries in little bubbles and you either accept or reject and there were many hundreds of them. And I looked at what he'd done. This is sort of draft number nine, perhaps. Believing the book was finished, I looked at what he'd done and thought, oh, I see, I see what he's doing. And I kind of applied that to, to the whole of the book, even when he hadn't asked questions. Uh, he made the fatal mistake of going on a two-week holiday. So over the course of a pretty sleepless fortnight, I, I, that was the largest overhaul the book went through. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I, I, I pride myself, Katie, on being a quick learner on the page. And it was like, oh, God, of course, that's so much better. Mm. So, I mean, I rejected some of his suggestions. It's my decision. It's not, not, none of this is, is, is told to me. 
But I hadn't ended the book properly. And the second chapter was a mess and, and the other chapters were missing things. And it's like, oh God, yeah, of course, how could I not see that? And the reason I didn't see it is because my nose was pressed up against it. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, it was just so, I mean, I would honestly use the word traumatizing and I have had traumatizing experiences in my life. I would describe the copy edit as, a, as traumatizing me to the extent that one day I was just so overwhelmed by it. I just went to bed in the middle of the day. I just couldn't deal with it. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I don't know if this is any any interest to your listeners. And then, and then, the, and then the proofread, and that was surprisingly uh, um, thorough as well. All for the best, to the extent that. I, but on the very, very day the book went into production, which was in February of this year, um, I was still making change. On the day it went into production, I was still making changes. And then what happened was the following month, I had to read, or I was asked to read, to narrate the audio book. So if anybody likes the sound of my voice, it's, and you'd like nine hours in my company, this, this is, you think you're listening to this podcast and think, you know what, I need more of this guy. <laughs> you can listen to me narrating the audio book. And as, and as I was doing so, let me tell you, Katie, there is nowhere to hide from your own prose when you are reading it out with real careful deliberation for over the course of four and a half days in an otherwise perfectly silent recording studio. And at that point, I realised that whether objectively the book is any good or not, and I think that it is, but subjectively, by the by, my the standards of my own capabilities, I honestly cannot do any better than this. And those sort of, you know, fortnights with three hours sleep a night and, and, and whatever were suddenly suddenly it was suddenly worth it. But I'd help from others reaching that point. Yeah. Well, I I I mean, it's a it's a very important book as well. I know this is a topic that. It is a topic I explore a lot in my podcast. It's something I have personal interest in. Um, I'm a music fan and, and I'm a therapist and music and mental health is very much a part of my focus. And I've read many books um, and read a lot of research around it. Um, and this feels to me like a, a really important part of that a body of work. Well, thank you. Yeah, because it's, well, awareness is being raised and I believe people are uh, definitely more aware and talking about it more anyway, because I think people are more interested anyway in mental health than they were. But I think there's still, um, it's quite a niche audience that really understand it Um, Mm. and this this question of how to move forward in our current world as it is with the music industry as it is is that what we really want from our favorite bands is that what we want to be putting our money to or our time to like really challenging those questions of um here's a band I idolize or here's here's a songwriter I love 
if I care about them, do I want to put them in that situation? Me as a fan, am I perpetuating something? And I think these are really important questions because it feels like a very systemic issue and, and not just a question for the people in the record companies, but for fans of music as well who go to the concerts and are paying money, that money's going into that system. Um, so I, I feel like it's an important book to kind of confront the reader with that. Right. Any music fan with that, yeah. That that was meant, someone mentioned that at the Q&A, in the Q&A, this was the first time I considered it, to be honest with you. Uh, at the, uh, the Q&A uh, at... Um, at Rough Trade East. Um, <clears throat> and I guess there are gradations. I hadn't considered whether... And I guess I hadn't considered it. This is terrible. I'm going to be up against the wall when the revolution comes for telling you this. I hadn't considered it because I don't pay for this stuff. Okay. You see, I, I think it's no more complicated than that. I mean, please don't hate me, but if I want to go to a concert, I email the, the record company or the PR and they put me on the guest list or they send me some tickets. As if to make this worse, I look at the tickets and the price on the tickets is zero because it's a complimentary ticket. So I don't, I don't know how much it costs to go to a concert. Actually, that's not quite true. Because I bought tickets to see Elvis Costello uh, <coughs> later this month, who I love, <coughs> on the on the off chance that I wouldn't be able to, the, the word we use is blag, I wouldn't be able to blag it. And those tickets were like a hundred odd pounds. And I it was like, what? How much is this? <coughs> I think if you like music, you should support the music. Um, I think it's too stark a sanction to say I'm not going to um, I'm not going to endorse this in this way now I, I, I mentioned at the top Pete Doherty if you're giving back in the day Pete Doherty's clean now but if back in the day knowing full well Pete Doherty's um, problems or actually he didn't view them as problems um but the the circumstances of Pete Doherty's life, that if you literally gave him twenty pounds, you know, in a hat in a in a pub, which is sort of what he was doing, you know where that's going. That's perhaps a different. That that's a more direct question with a more easily answer a more easily answerable question. <clears throat> You're directly funding hardcore drug use there. And you can make that decision whether you want or want not to do that. Uh, I would actually go the other way, Katie, and say, um, you know what? If 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 in the if in the age before streaming, <clears throat> you bought two albums a month or two albums a week or an album a week or an album every three months, whatever it might have been, just because you can now hear that music. Uh, over uh, streaming without having to buy the record <clears throat> if you're able to do so continue to buy music mm -hmm. in physical form 
because and 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 this is I don't think that this is at all. It's happened in journalism. It's happened to 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 book authors too. Um, what were previously dependable uh, kind of middle class jobs without these middle class jobs no longer really have middle class incomes. Uh, I have a middle class lifestyle now, despite you know being a the son of a miner from Barnsley. I'm, I doubtless I have a middle-class lifestyle now, or middle-class, you know, I work in media, I live in central London. You know, my income level is, is barely middle-class. Um, and that's the same for, for bands. Bands who operate at a level, 20 years ago operating at, at exactly the same level, they will be earning much, 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 much more money. Than they are now, and 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 so my instinct, Katie, is to is to give them a bit more money if you're able to do so. If you're able to do so, um, buy a t-shirt if you're able to do so. Buy the album if you really like it, because it makes a difference to them. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's the it's raising these questions. How how do how do we balance that you know what what things do we do it's yeah no I, I hear that um I'm just thinking because I, I agree with you that I was thinking is it is it about the money or is it about something else I was thinking about like the glamorization of the expectation for our idols particularly I guess guitar music more so than maybe some other genres but the glamorization of the rock star, for example, like feeding into that desire for them to be drunk and and have these escapades and and seeing it as um, something to to respect and and glamorize. Because I think you, you, there was a line in your book I loved because you said it wasn't glamorous; it was dramatic. He said it's not. Uh, I the exact line escapes me. And you probably know the exact line. <laughs> Is that yeah. yeah. I, I, I can tell you it's that it's that Nicky takes injecting heroin into his into his into his person, should we say? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and I and I made the point because Motley Crue are the band that have monetized dysfunction better than any other. And it's their dysfunction to monetize if that's what they want to do. Um but I made the point that that you know this this excerpt from the heroin diaries is just so stark. There's no way that that, that Nicky Six can be accused of glamorizing his circumstances there. Mm. He describes himself as looking like an Auschwitz victim and he's crouched in his closet trying to find a vein in his penis in which to inject heroin. There's nothing glamorous about that. He is dramatizing. Mm. It, there's doubtless about that. Um, and that's completely legitimate to my mind. It's us that's doing the heavy lifting there. So if we if we think, oh, that's you know, we like the at the start at the start of the book, you know, if we like, sorry, let me complete that thought. It, uh, you know, if 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 we're we're comp- if we're drawn to that, that also says something about us yeah. as well. And there, uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with the you know the current working practices for the longest time. Um, rock music 
um, you know, popular music, but you know, rock music is, is tends to, for the most part, what I'm writing about has been wedded to two, to two notions. One of which is that <clears throat> to make capable capable art requires humor and suffering. You know that that that. Um, and that it was, it was, for example, Kurt Cobain's suffering that made Nirvana unique, that you have to suffer to make capable art. And secondly, and this one is, is I think, perhaps more tenacious, we like the idea, I, I don't like the term we, but let me use it, let me use it. We like the idea of, 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 of the rock star as an outlaw who has license to do anything, mm. because we don't. Uh, and the rock star doesn't really either, but we don't, uh, because the, the the connection with music is it tends to be so personal and so visceral. It's so identifiable. It's easy to then imagine that it is you that is doing this when you are listening to the music. So I think more than other art forms, it is easy and perhaps inevitable. To 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 live to 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 to, 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 to live vicariously through it, almost to the point that you can imagine that you are yourself doing this. Uh, but what's going on behind the scenes is different, and also we know that as well. It's very very morally ambiguous, but there's no doubt about it. Um, Katie, the song Motorhead by Motorhead, which is about taking amphetamine sulfates. She's one, and this is interesting too. There aren't very many songs about drugs that paint drugs in a positive light. There just aren't. So it's not the music itself. Um, there is the case that people don't, and I don't either, or, or always, uh, listen closely to the lyrics you listen to the mood and the um but a lot of songs about drugs are, 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 are parables of warning you know um but motorhead by motorhead is song about taking speed I, you know a motorhead is an american slang for a speed freak you know can't get enough and you know it's righteous stuff uh i should be tired but all i am is wired I'm going to go running when we when we finish up, Katie, and I'll probably listen to that song, and I think it's damn exciting. Uh, I, I, I won't take amphetamine sulfate again, but listen through the prism of that song, even knowing what I know and living what I've lived, it's still really exciting. And that, I think, is the power of music. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps we sort of, in a way, we can kind of end on that note because. Okay. But but not to say you know I could go on. I, I don't want to cut you off. I I'm, I'm really interested in everything you're saying. I I I kind of um was wanting to ask you what you what you would like from the book. What do you think you want out of it? Uh, I'd like a film deal out of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it in a film. Everybody says that. I'd like if um I, I I it's it's that's a good question. Um and again I'm going to answer it completely honestly. The book's impact mm -hmm. is not 
really, I don't feel that it's my concern. <laughs> I've put it together as best I can. Um, if young bands or older bands read it and it, it is a, a service to them, that is magnificent. That's obviously great and an incredible, uh, I would consider that a job well done if that's the case. But that's really not why I wrote it. Because again, uh, I wrote it, I, I just, I wrote it because I wanted, these were the best stories I had mm. and I wanted to write them well. It's really no more complicated than that. It's quite an insular thing. Um, it's an extremely insular thing. And then how could it not be? You sit alone in a room uh, and type for, you know, between eight and 14 hours a day writing a book. How, how can that not be a, the most self-involved? It's not, it's not collaborative like it is being in a band and you know even if even if there's one songwriter you all play the songs and you figure them out it's 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 a a, a deeply lonesome profession being a writer and that suits me fine um so i don't really think about that i don't really think it's my business i hope that doesn't sound like a cop out to think about that what i do think about is um i hope that it has I hope that it, it, it uh, let me try and answer this properly, Katie. I'm very much, and because I've done as well as I honestly know how to do, the fact that it is being so well received, I am taking time to enjoy that, that perfect strangers um, are contacting me to, 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 and are taking the trouble to, to, express their enjoyment of the book or, or, or you know, whatever it might be. I'm, all, I'm quite taken aback by that. Uh, and, and I'm enjoying that. It would be nice, I'll be honest with you, it would be nice. And, and again, this is quite a, 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 a creatives thing that I'm doing there, as if this is somehow a bad thing. I would like it to, to, to earn me a bit of money, to be honest with you, because, it, it, like I said, it was about £2.50 an hour that I wrote it for. And I, I hope I don't sound like, oh gosh, whoa, woe is me. But it was, it was, it was valued at this amount. And, and I understand why Mo the, there is a phrase in publishing, it's called earning out. Most books don't earn out. Most books don't sell, don't recoup the advance paid for them and the production costs paid for them. It looks like this might do. Um, it, next year, it's been published in a in a in a cheaper edition. It's it's quite a lavish paperback edition at the moment. Um, so that's lovely because it's not a given that 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 would happen. But I, I you know I, I hope it has a life, uh, and I hope that people continue to read it really and engage with it because so often books just disappear into uh, you know a, 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 into complete blackness and complete silence and i and, and i would like to make it clear Kate, katie that i know that 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 by now i'm sort of in the top five percent of authors experiences you know i'm doing the odd live event I'm, you know i'm speaking to you people are interested in speaking to me 
you know, it got reviewed in, you know, all the big papers and the music press. Most books don't get that at all. So I don't want to sound like I'm grasping for more, but I hope its life continues. Uh, And whatever anyone else gets from it, particularly people in the music industry, if it has a a positive effect, and I'll just make them think a little bit, actually, um, then that's great, obviously. Yeah, well, it certainly made me think. It would make me feel, actually, if I, I, I think, it did make me think, but it made me feel more. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment to you. I, yeah, it is. It is. Um, the, what I am left with is, actually, you brought people in your life alive. And so they stay with me so it's like the, the I think I said before your characterization of your father and your mother um I got a real sense of them and, and your relationship to them that really stayed with me and and probably won't leave me for a while okay. things like that um so yeah I wanted to <laughs> say well that. that's lovely of you to take the trouble to say that Katie honestly mm. Yeah, it's it's very true, and I I'm someone who feels a lot, so <laughs> I'm not <laughs> to say it. But I just re- so for people who want to buy, because I really hear you, and it, and and it's it really is worth buying. And and also if they do it on audio audio, but they still they still um, pay for that, don't they? So they they can get it on um, Audible as well. Yeah, um, don't be nicking it. What's that? Don't be nicking it, listeners. Oh no no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be, don't be borrowing it off your friends. <laughs> you can, although you can, you can. Libraries are fine. I get, I get a piece of the action from libraries. So, uh, you know, can I help help a brother out here, please? Yeah, it's exactly. It's called Bodies, Life and Death in Music by Ian Woodward. Uh, Winwood, sorry, not okay. Ian Winwood. I thought, who's this Ian Woodward? Yeah, Ian Woodward, exactly yeah, the same as mine. <laughs> Ian Winwood. I'll kill him. Um, <laughs> it's by favor and favor and you can buy pretty much in all bookstores is that right or, or online or yeah yeah it's in a, it's in my wife works in publishing she works for penguin one of the big corporates uh and she t- she tells me that if i pass a bookshop i have to go in and see if they've got copies and if they have copies i have to offer to sign them which i i do oh, um uh, so if, so there are numerous bookshoppers in London that have signed copies of it. It's more actually of an illegible squiggle, but it passes as my signature. Because if you sign a book, it can't be returned, you see. Uh, so it's essentially it's essentially selling it. Terry Pratchett, she used to, she, forgive my name dropping, when he was alive, my wife used to edit Terry, Terry Pratchett's younger people's books, uh, young adult books. And he told her once that a signed book is a sold book. But if anybody, I think Rough Trade have got signed copies. Uh, I think Foils uh, have got signed copies and, and various bookshops in central and north London. I realise not everyone lives in central and north London, but for those that are in the neighbourhood, you can get them from there. And I, I really do appreciate uh, the support from you in, in, in this, Katie, but also just, just the support of anyone that takes the trouble to read it. It, it, really, it, it really means an awful lot. 
And would you want anyone to, you said you don't really use social media much, but can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Ian Winwood One. Uh, and I, what I mean is when I say I don't usually use, use social media, I do use, use social media. I just don't dive into other people's conversations. And, you know, I just sort of, yeah, I, I, I am on social media and I am contactable on social media, on Instagram as well, although I'm just sort of figuring out how to use that. Um, yeah, what I mean is if, if I, I'm not involved in pylons or sort of, I, 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 try, I, try to be, I try to be a nice person on social media. I guess that's what I mean that I wasn't quite engaged with it. But yeah, I'm on there. Yeah, brilliant. So people can find you. So yeah. I'll, put, I'll put all those details as well. I'll, I'll, obviously, we're saying them, but I'll write them on the show notes. Thank you. Well. Thanks, Katie. You're really welcome. I do have one final question is how come the book was called Bodies? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can answer that straight away uh, easily. It, it, it's in, it's, it, it's, it has a double, for me at least, it has a double meaning. Bodies as in obviously dead bodies, but also bodies as in we need a body to do this. We need a, a body to do that. And then the, 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 the artists themselves, uh, the, the industry will go on. It will choose people up and spits them out, whether, whether it kills them or they, are, or they die, um, or whether they just sort of, you know, make it for a couple of years and then, you know, on to the next one. They're sort of interchangeable bodies. It's also the name of a Sex Pistols song, so that there's there's, there's that as well. So <laughs> those are the three reasons, Kate. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know I've kept you for two hours. It's um, all good. If anybody made it to the end, congratulations. <laughs> okay, there, there, there is no pot of gold, I'm afraid. But uh, thank you for listening to me. No, it's great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm going running. Oh, yes. Enjoy your run. Enjoy your run. Thank you so much. Have a lovely weekend, Katie. Thanks for for inviting me. Thanks very much to Ian Winwood. Ian's going to be on the panel at the Louder Than Words Festival on November the 13th. It's called Bodies, Pandemonium and Recovery Songs, a Music and Mental Health Discussion. And that's taking place at Inside Manchester, number one, First Street, Manchester, M15 4RP. And you can go and find information about that on eventbrite.co.uk. Or you can follow Louder Than Words Festival on Twitter. That's it from me. Take care. Bye.